Hey, Brainhearts, welcome back to the show. Today we have a two-time Oscar nominee, Tom Moore. He's a really fantastic guy. And you know what? It was kind of a fun coincidence that this week happens to be St. Patrick's Day and Tom is an Irishman. So it was a great, uh, great, well, I didn't plan it that way, but it was pretty fun. Tom and his crew have built a studio called Cartoon Saloon from the ground up. And a lot of their stories focus in on Irish folklore. It's really a fun, um, interesting uh, niche they've carved out for themselves. If you haven't seen Song of the Sea or The Secret of Kells, please check them both out immediately. Those are two of my favorite animated movies of all time. Really breathtaking work. Hey, and since uh, you have some time to multitask while you're listening to a podcast, go ahead and check out Tom's Twitter. You can find him at Tom, that's T-O-M-M, more, M-O-O-R-E, and check out what he's talking about these days. And hey, while you're at it, go ahead and uh, scroll over to our podcast page. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and click that big button. And if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast, I would so appreciate that. It really means the world, not just because it looks nice, but because it actually helps Apple to recognize the work we're doing and can help us grab more listeners. Oh, and just a heads up, this time we just eased right into the conversation rather than starting with a bit of a stiff intro. So enjoy. So Tom, your studio is based in a kind of a small town in Ireland. How do you manage your talent pool? Is it a challenge to find the talent you need? Yeah, I guess for us, it's not really limited in the sense that we feel we have at least a Europe-wide reach and um, and okay. even further. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our, our, our accountant kind of jokes that the crew, it's like the UN, we have people from nearly every country. <laughs> and we have people, we've even got, you know, artists from Iran and so forth. Wow. So it and what what we've struggled with more was been the Irish artists because right now animation is kind of booming in Dublin, and so if you have an apartment and a life in Dublin, just just that hour and a half drive to Kilkenny down the road seems to put some of the Irish artists off. Whereas the French, Danish, Spanish, you name it, Canadians, etc., it's a bit of an adventure to come to a small town in the no Ireland. doubt. So it turns out that more of our crew are international than Irish, but that's starting to sort of even out as our reputation is solidifying. And part of the idea of having the Lighthouse Studios is to create the possibility that an artist could imagine a, a life for themselves here in Kilkenny without having to constantly, you know, um, swim to another island in, in Dublin or whatever. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that, that we're sort of working towards working moving away from things like commercials which are very short and you need to kind of pull a crew together and then let them all go again in just like six or eight weeks to more long form stuff like the features the tv and then the commercials can kind of float on top of that permanent staff that makes perfect sense that's really cool and um, i actually have a question later on about how you are managing the business side of things versus the creative side of things. First sure, of all, I have no a very, very important question. What are okay. you doing for St. Patrick's Day? What am I doing for St. Patrick's Day? Well, <laughs> do you know what I'm doing? Quite uh, contradictory to the stereotype. I'm going to try and avoid the booze because well, I'm just you. back from just back from cartoon movie 
where we pitched our, our new movie, Wolf Walkers, and there was a little bit of celebration going on. Ah. And I think I should give the old liver a bit of a rest. <laughs> so the challenge now, the challenge now tomorrow <laughs> will be, can I, can I do a dry... Can I do a dry St. Patrick's Day? It's rare enough. Um, but what's nice is Cartoon Saloon have become more and more involved in the in the annual parade here in Kilkenny. Oh, that's great. And this year, the theme is Jonathan Swift, who, of course, was a Dubliner, but um, celebrating uh, Jonathan Swift and Cartoon Saloon have a, a float um, on the back of a, of a truck with a huge drawing board. And some of the artists will be doing big illustrations inspired by Jonathan Oh, Swift. that's fantastic. You know, Gulliver's Travels type stuff. So if the rain holds off, which is... <laughs> hopefully St. Patrick <laughs> will, will do a little miracle for us and keep the rain off. That that's should be true. quite nice. And some kids can help colour it in. And yeah, stuff I've often wondered if the U.S. just um, has overblown the holiday or if it's as big a deal over there as it is here. I think it's bigger for immigrants. That's I great. think it's 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 one day. I mean, I was in Boston for St. Patrick's Day, um, after Seeker to Kells came out, and we just had the Oscar nomination, oh, wow. and uh, that that wasn't a dry St. Patrick's Day for me. <laughs> I would but I, yeah, it was quite poignant because I kind of realised um, being in Boston for St. Patrick's Day how important you know people's roots were to them, and and um, and it was quite it was quite nice to be there for that. That's great. I love it. So let's, we're going to go back in time a little bit. Um, I've heard a few interviews with you, and, and most of those interviews, of course, focus around animation and the creative mm. process. But I've actually, I'm actually curious about the man, Tom Moore, um, <laughs> and your, your beginnings and the narrative of your life. Um, do you mind kind of taking us back to uh, your early, you know, uh, early days and, and, and walk us through the process of how you got interested in story and all those juicy details. Yeah, I think it was um, uh, some at some point in my childhood, you know, I was always into comic books and drawing and I was always kind of um, encouraged by my parents. And um, I made friends as a kid with Ross Stewart, who's co-directing Wolf Walkers with mm. me. And we were we were the kids who kind of drew in our class in school, you know. That's great. We kind of had a healthy competition with each other. And we still sit beside each other and work together day by day. Oh, that's good. Even though Ross has, had, Ross has had some adventures in studios in the U.S. and so forth, we're still working together. So there's kind of a very straight line from my childhood, like making comics with Ross and some of my other friends, to joining Young Irish Filmmakers, which was a group here in Kilkenny. Mm. And um, when we first uh, heard about it, we, we were in an all-boys school, you know, Catholic school. And... More than the filmmaking, the fact that there'll be some girls there was kind of <laughs> And uh, myself and Ross and another Ross, another friend, and a few of us decided to join filmmakers. And uh, sure enough, you know, I met my wife there. And, um, oh, that's great. Hey, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Young Irish Filmmakers was a big influence on my teenage. That was my social interaction as a teenager. That was I wasn't wow. into sport or anything. So uh, Young Irish Filmmakers was both a place where we could experiment with filmmaking and make our own comics and stuff, but also just a place to hang out for all the, yeah. the those other kids, those art kids, those kind of alternative kids who weren't into uh, I love it. Like in Kilkenny, the big sport is hurling. And if you're not into hurling, you're kind of nobody. So all those, <laughs> all those nobodies hung out in young Irish filmmakers. And uh, <laughs> it was really, really big part of my, really big part of my kind of, um, get into the whole were there like formal courses or was it more just a support group 
It was a mixture. Mike Kelly, who was the artist, or yeah, he was, he's retired now, was the artistic director, um, would give talks and we sometimes went on trips to join up with other groups um, in other parts of the country uh, and make films together. A lot of it was hanging around, drinking cups of tea, talking shite, um, <laughs> messing. It was in the 90s, so like now you could make a film with your iPhone, but back then it was pretty exciting just to be able to play the oh, Amiga sure. computer, you know. And we did some of our first experiments with animation there. And and uh, as I said, we even had our own little, within the Young Irish Filmmakers, there was a smaller group again that we set up um, just to do art. So we had a dark room for photography and an airbrush and <laughs> things like that. So we were kind of the art kids within the Young Irish Filmmakers. So, but it was a tiny little group and somewhere between a, one of the most, I always say probably more than anything we learned about filmmaking there was mm. learning to work together as a group because ah. it's such a such a collaborative uh, medium, particularly yes. animation, and maybe the empowerment that you know. Okay, you're spotty fourteen year old kid in the Midlands of Ireland, but you could be a filmmaker. That <laughs> that was very empowering, you know. That's really cool. Do you remember any any particular films or stories at that time that just really captivated you and maybe started forming some of your your taste and style? Yeah, I think it was Mike Kelly who first showed me this interview between Leonard Maltin and Joseph Campbell. Hmm. And we talked a lot about folklore and mythology and how that underpinned so much of the popular culture I was consuming because I was big into American comic books and stuff. Ah. And then there was a guest lecture from one of Mike's friends. He was an Academy member, Michael Adelson. And he was a okay. you know, stills photographer. And he was actually a professor in New York. And that was a pretty big deal that he would visit. And he gave a talk. And I had never looked at filmmaking in that sort of academic way. Hmm. But he gave a talk where he compared the old Bella Labette and Disney's Beauty and the Beast and Neil Jordan's Company of Wolves. And he just talked about fairy tales and folklore and mythic archetypes in movies. Yeah. And he kind of opened my eyes to movies being more than having another level than the entertainment level. Sure. That, that was only like a couple of days of talks and screenings, but it really kind of made me think. It was the starting of me thinking like a filmmaker rather than just a kid who liked to draw and, you know, mess around with animation. That's really cool. It was, yeah, so I think that would have been it, yeah. So how is, um, I'm curious how folklore is, is passed on and consumed in Ireland, in modern, well, in modern day Ireland. Um, is it something that's still talked about um you know parents to children grandparents to children or is it something you have to do a little more digging for um you know kind of old the old-fashioned way headed to the library or, or sort of in books i would say that the latter i mean sure. for me what's interesting when i was growing up it was sort of just in the language but we were a little bit embarrassed about it i think we all wanted to be american <laughs> kids like i don't sure. think anybody really wanted to be like it almost was like um there was a kind of a renaissance in the 90s with the celtic tiger and mm. my own son went to like an irish language school where everything was taught through irish and there was a renaissance in traditional music and a lot of that came back but when i was a kid at least for me and my friends that seemed like old crazy stuff that our grandparents and we almost <laughs> laughed at it. you know yeah. we'd laugh at them having a belief in fairies at the same time as being catholics you know and both yes. of which were becoming out of vogue for us and so it was only yeah it was a kind of a second 
it was like a second appreciation that came in. And um, I still wonder, because there's a guy, I forget his name now, but he started collecting folklore and putting the videos up on YouTube. And, of course, a lot of it is old people in nursing homes and stuff. Sure, talking about yeah. Fairies. But there's inter- there's interviews with little kids in school. And I was amazed how much of it was in their day-to-day belief system. And and just wow. the way folklore is, it just connected to the landscape. I thought it was amazing. Like, there was one video of these two little kids in Limerick, real likely lads, you know, and they're talking <laughs> about the... The green lady who lives in the, the, you know, the marshy bit of river that's dangerous. You shouldn't get too close to it. Wow. And, and I was like, wow, that's so interesting. And they believe in, you know, banshees. And yes. they, they would have, they would have, they would be passing this stuff on. Yeah, just within their kind of, in their imaginative play and talk. So I was kind of heartened and interested to see how it manages to exist in like 2017 in urban Ireland, you know. No, absolutely. That's super fascinating. My my great great grandfather was an Irishman, and he married um, a Native American woman. Uh, wow. And I've often wondered what the folklore and the stories to their children at night must have been like, yeah. kind of merging those two cultures. I just I think it would be delicious. I, I uh, yes. secretly wish and I could that, go back in time and hear them. And that way of living in the world. I remember reading Neil Gaiman's American Gods and mm. loving the idea that folklore characters from all over the world had sort of hitched a ride to America and mingled <laughs> yes. with what was there. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. I hope to do a good job of a TV series. Let's I haven't hope watched so. It yet. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you, I love the fact that your, your little town provided this support system for the artsy kids. Mm. Um, and that started to form your, your peer group and give you a safe place to learn and play and, and, and get used to this idea of storytelling in a visual format. I'm curious, since you mentioned that your good friend who also went through um, some of this training decided to uh, work in some American studios, why did you choose not to go towards that path? I think that's really a fascinating choice um, instead to kind of form help form your own own group, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, Cartoon Saloon was kind of in a continuation of Young Irish Filmmakers. We went away and studied in Ballyfermot College in Dublin. Hmm. And that's when Nora and Paul and I uh, kind of came together as the core of Cartoon Saloon. And Ross was always part of that too, but he was art director on Secret of Kells. And we'd sort of set up Cartoon Saloon because there wasn't really any other jobs, at least in hand-drawn animation, and certainly hmm. not in Ireland. Cause the, in the 80s, we had studios like Don Bluth and Jimmy Murakami doing the yes. Teenage Turtles. So there was there was American studios in Ireland, but it was more because of the low cost of the economy. And as Ireland became kind of a wealthy country with the Celtic Tiger, I think a lot of that moved away to even cheaper countries again, you know, to Asia sure. and stuff. And so the Irish industry took a while to kind of reboot itself from being a service provider um to its own and we were the start of that or one of the first studios to do that oh wow um, there was a couple of small studios and so when we were setting up people thought we were crazy like we were buying <laughs> animation desks from the american studios that were closing down you know <laughs> so we were a bit mad but we were young as well and, and young Irish filmmakers gave us some space so oh, we had great. an opportunity and then what happened was after secret of kells was released we'd sort of the, you talked a bit about the business side the business side was our definitely our weakest point. Mm. And um, we'd kind of all gotten into a point where we'd gone so over budget and everything, trying to make Secret of Kells and our first series, Kung Fu, that um, 
there was a moment where I considered just going and getting a job, you know, because I always sort of sure. I think I think up to that point, I thought Cartoon Saloon was something I'd do and then get a real job. And huh. um, thought really seriously about it because Ross yeah. went and like uh, I helped him a bit from here. But I think the Oscar nomination for Secret of Kells kind of made me think twice and go, oh, oh sure. this this is the Academy. This is like people I've always hero worshipped sort of saying, sure. oh, what you're doing is valid. And we don't necessarily need you to come out to Los Angeles or wherever, Portland or wherever it was. Um, keep making the kind of films you're making here. And I already had the idea for Song of the Sea. So that was a bit of a, a turning point because I think at that point, a lot of part of me would have really liked to have just gone to a story department and learnt a lot more about story sure. in, a, in a bigger studio. Um, but I had the opportunity with the nomination for Secret of Chaos to make Song of the Sea, so I decided to stick with it. And now it's another another 10 years or seven years <laughs> has gone by. I'm still here and it looks like this is my still real job. Still plugging away. <laughs> yeah. It's turning you into know. something. But it's been yeah. a long journey and I'm actually very impressed by the stamina that you've had in terms of sticking with it, which I'm sure it's not been easy at all because, you know, for a long time, you, in a sense, you were nobodies. Nobody really knew about you. And of course, Uh until secret of Kells, thank God we all, uh, those of us who have (laughs) seen it, my sister, I think told me about it. I want to say three years ago. And and I was astonished. Just the, the styling is just so beautiful. I was like, this is the most beautiful animation I think I've ever seen. And, and I'm, thanks, I'm thankful. And you're thanks to your sister. Those are the people that we need. Okay. <laughs> yes, right. The grassroots yeah. movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We really benefited from that. <laughs> no, it's it's. I love the style. Can we talk a little bit about since you did sort of start your own thing, and you didn't have a lot of exposure necessarily to other animation studios? You didn't necessarily go into the art departments. Did you rely a lot on? Ross talking to him how are these other studios doing things and implementing those processes internally or did you kind of forge your own path in terms of story and process and how you work things out at Cartoon Saloon and beyond yeah I would say that Ross's experience came after Secret of Chaos and he went away for a short period and then then he came back so prior to that we were really just going on what we you know we were gathering and I think the biggest thing for biggest thing for us was we went to a cartoon movie back in 2001 nice. and that was a, a conference and it goes on every year we're just back from it again now and it was for all the European part studios to find partners because the European co-production model which we had never heard about before going there is that smaller studios can team up and take parts of the work and share the work so we actually learned a lot we found a co-producer there called uh, Didier Brunier and Vivian Van Fletteren from Belgium. So Didier was from France and Vivian was from Belgium. And mm. they were making a movie called The Triplets of Belleville or Belleville Rendezvous. And uh, that was one of the first European features to get like an Oscar nomination. It got distribution by Sony. Wow. It kind of was one of the first ones to break through. And they were, I mean, very experienced producers on the European scene. Like back in the 90s, Didier had had some hits just in France. And so they kind of opened up that world and introduced us to, you know, uh, writers like Fabrice Ilkowski, who uh, worked with me on The Secret of Kells and Hmm. introduced us to how these things were done. And maybe the biggest thing was that uh, Didier really liked that we had evolved the style based on Irish art. And he felt that the only way you can make like these smaller movies for less than six million euros is to make them very different. Don't pretend you're an American movie. Don't pretend you're a Japanese movie. Find a way to be where you're from. 
And we were already going down that path. We already had it in our mind that we could somehow reinvent hand-drawn animation, somehow find a style that was uniquely Irish for such an Irish story. And DDA just encouraged us to push that even more. So uh, Ross and myself and Nora, who co-directed Secret Accounts with me, that was really in our mind right from the beginning. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I love the choice um, to choose hand-drawn animation. Is that something you are still doing with these new features, the Breadwinner and Wolfwalkers, or are you moving more yeah. towards a digital model? No, it's it's a strange thing. With Song of the Sea, we made a small leap in that we don't draw the characters on mm. paper anymore. We draw them directly with a stylus okay. um, onto the screen. But it's still frame by frame. It's still, you sure. know, 12 drawings per second per character. There isn't that kind of CG, um, maybe more for the TV shows, we might be going more that direction, but part of our kind of brand has become hand-drawn and, mm. and it's, it's, there's something about it that we love, you know, there's something about hand-drawn that I feel like we're offering something different. Absolutely. Just as much as like Ardman or Leica offer something different with stop motion, I think to still be doing hand-drawn features makes our work stand out actually. Oh, absolutely, I would agree, it's beautiful. Um, so speaking of Song of the Sea, which is another favorite of mine and my children's, um, seems like shortly after um, that was launched, or maybe while it was still in production, Puffin Rock happened. Yeah. And it seems like we're probably getting into the business side of things a little bit more at this point, um, where I'm sure business development is a big part of your day to day. You want to talk a little bit about how that happened and how much of your life, the business development side of things, um, eats up these days? Well, I'm really lucky in that right from the start, I had great partners. Um, Paul That's Young fantastic. and, and uh, Ross Murray, who was with us. You know, he works in France now, but he was with us right at the start, too. Um, they really focused on the business side. Oh, great. And, uh, That's great. Let, let Nora and myself more or less focus on directing. Of course, we're always in, especially when times are tough, everyone's mind is sure. on the business, you know. When things are going, yeah, when budgets are in place and things are pretty much going, it, they have a really good structure. And then Paul and myself and Nora kind of really knew that at the beginning of Song of the Sea, I'd had the idea for Song of the Sea and Puff and Rock during the production of Secret of Kells. Hmm. And we knew whenever we got into like financial difficulty towards the end of Secret of Kells that those projects would be our kind of second bite of the apple. Sure. And we kind of had a plan in place that if we could get those two projects off the ground, we'd put a different business infrastructure underneath us. And so as soon as we were in in a place where those projects were funded, uh, certainly Song to Sea, we hired um, a managing director who was um, a guy who had advised us a lot, Jerry Sheeran. He'd advised us a lot in our early days. He was always very generous with advice. He was running another studio in Dublin. And had originally been part of the Don Bluth studio. Oh, and wow. So he was available and interested to come in as our managing director. And I have to say, that was like five years ago. And that really put the ground underneath us. He really put a, a system great. in place where I feel very protected. I'm kind of shocked when I look out the window of the office out there. I think there's like maybe five or six different accountants and administration people, you know, office <laughs> managers. Great. I think we've three, four accountants and two office administrators, two IT, you know, all that support stuff that Ross and I, uh, Paul and Nora tried to do ourselves for so long um, has really been lifted and freed us up to kind of grow a lot because with that support structure, we can focus more on the creativity, which is fantastic. That's great. 
letting people do what they're gifted to do and what makes them most happy. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I think before we were always a little bit afraid to go that direction because I think there's oh, this sure. instinct in artists to be a bit suspicious of business. But we <laughs> yes. find the, you know, and, and, and smelly, you know, you don't want to be like, you know, oh, we don't care about money. We're just all about the art. But I think we learned over our first 10 years, of 12 years of business that really the lunatics running the asylum wasn't a great idea. <laughs> Not the best plan. So, yeah, so no, some very uh, and uh, very nice uh, staff in that in that's, that area. That's now. great. That's good to hear. Um, let the creative people be creative, and and um, I tend to be more on the biz dev side of things. At least in in uh, we don't have an animation studio, but I, I'm a firm believer in letting people do what makes them happy and what they're gifted to do. So that's really cool. I'm glad they've protected and you. You know what? You know what? I have to say that like I obviously had to learn a lot about business. I mean. I can really see that it's a creative uh, role as well. You know, when it's That's done true. right, it's very creative. You have to think problem solve. You have to think about different ways to um, put a deal together. You're dealing with people. It's a huge That's amount true. of communication. You know, a company is the company you keep. It's a phrase we say a lot. So the yes. people you surround yourself with are really important. So this kind of cliche of, oh, the suits are so boring and uptight and all, it's total nonsense. In fact, some of the funnest people are our business people, you know, so <laughs> yes. I have to really, I have to really kind of kick that stereotype on the head or there and say, and um, they're as much part of the studio as any of the artists. You know? That's a very good point. And I would consider myself someone who really loves and enjoys creativity. And I do a lot of art as, as a passion, but not professionally. And um, while it's my job to close business and do business development, it is so much fun to go about it creatively and craft story, um, mm. brand stories or mm. stories that are going to appeal to people and bridge the gap between the brand and their their consumers and creatively, you know, find ways to connect with and appeal to individuals of all types across every spectrum. You're absolutely right. That's a very good point. It's It's definitely a creative role for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not, you know, manufacturing paper clips. You know, it's you true. have to be Hallelujah. creative to be in this business. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. No offense to the paperclip manufacturers. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Our respects. Our respects. <laughs> I we love need it. You guys too. We need those paperclips. Yes. So, can we talk a little bit about um, episodic versus features? Uh, in terms of production and writing. And I know that I believe you've done a lot of the, the actual script writing for uh, the various productions that Cartoon Saloon has put out. Um, what are your favorite things about features and your favorite things about um, episodic TV and vice versa, things that you maybe find frustrating about both? Well, I mean, that's an, that's an interesting topic. Um, I think the features are where I've been most... Um, I've had most longevity because I've directed mm. those. So those are those are usually big, you know, five-year journeys from the first idea, even longer for Secret Accounts, sure. from the first idea to the final thing. And I learned a lot about writing and story from, you know, my my uh, screenwriters on Fabrice on Secret Accounts and Will Collins mm. on Song of the Sea, and um, both of those guys work in TV as well. Um, and we do TV here. I think for me, the TV kind of my involvement usually ends at the end of development. I like to create the world and work with the artists on the character design and, you know, the overall uh, feel and tone of the world. But sure. the series um, and the other thing I would say is that within the studio and it's not hard and fast rule, but more or less, Nora has been much stronger on the story side. I know I've really mm. relied on her 
input um, as definitely at least as a second opinion, but she was oh, like sure. co-director on Kells and head of story on songs, so she was deeply mm. involved in those. And so, um, for example, with Puff and Rock, I was getting deep into the storyboards um, and production of Song of the Sea just as Puff and Rock was ramping up. So uh, Morris Joyce took it on as director, and mm. uh, Lily, who designed a lot of Puff and Rock, ended up, you know, as a co-creator. And they kind of charted a course with our co-producers in the north of Ireland to make it a series, you know. And the writers, sure. the writers in that were kind of wrangled by Laura in um, in Derry. So to me, I suppose I still have a lot to learn about the episodic side. Sure. Um, I love series. I enjoy it. I think it's very different. I think um, the features is something I'm still, obviously it's a craft you never fully master, but I'm sure. getting my head around that whole arc it's almost like a feature is a is a short story where a series gives you an opportunity maybe for a novel or you know yeah. maybe uh, it's different i think i think a feature film is quite limited it's quite a small palette really like you can kind of really only explore one or two characters hmm. um fully yeah. whereas in a series what's lovely is you can kind of over time get to know a whole cast of characters and set up interactions and situations that bring out different characters to the fore in different episodes oh sure no that makes perfect sense and i love the fact that you have a really good team and of course me being an outsider um we tend to ascribe all the credits to (laughs) the face or the Uh, name associated with the brand so i love hearing about these individuals that you've surrounded i'm hoping that yeah i i've i've by default, ended up becoming somewhat of the, oh, sure. the lead, the lead singer or the spokesman. But I'm hoping that, particularly now as Breadwinner comes out, Nora is gonna thankfully take over from me, and I can. That's <laughs> exciting. Into the background Good for Nora. Go Nora. Especially, yeah. have you been keeping up with the difficulty in the U.S. in terms of women in animation and the the massive disparity? There's there's quite a. It's it's sorry. It's too early in the morning to think of words. Goodness, they're all escaping me. <laughs> words are it's hard. The, it's the middle of the day here, <laughs> yeah. and I don't have. That's great. Um, but the, there's, there's a, quite a, a diversity problem in the animation studios in the U.S. And, and there's, uh, there are several organizations, one of them being women in animation, working to yeah. help bridge the gap and, and bring the balance. Yeah. Because in school, it's about 50-50, even, yeah. uh, even more so weighted towards the women. Um, yeah. But then once it comes to actual studios and um, jobs, um, it's, it's far outweighed by the male crowd, which, hey, I mean, we love our guys. Um, but that's certainly been a struggle. How have you found that struggle to either be uh, present or non-existent in the European landscape? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. We definitely have been talking about it more and more. I mean, I always joke that when we first set up the studio, it was like a submarine, you know, it was all dudes and just Nora and one or two girls <laughs> and mostly guys. And the studio now definitely feels much more weighted the other way it's exciting uh, much much more women and what right from the beginning though i mean i mentioned vivian was one of the co-producers the belgian co-producers i've noticed that there's more women producers than directors Interesting. i'm not sure why women in the huh. production role nora hazarded at one point that at least in the production roles that women it's still kind of a sexist thing because it's kind of like a, a service you know true. to the guys or whatever true but that doesn't hold up when you look at the actual like exec producers, you know. Sure. I mean, uh, Vivian Van Fletteren is a good example. She's like very successful producer, and she's mm. not 
you know, she's the one putting the deals together and raising the finance and stuff. So sure. it's not, it's hard to see. I mean, sure. uh, Breadwinner is certainly about women's rights to a huge extent. And um, we have a very kind of famous uh, female producer on that, uh, Angelina Jolie. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I hope it's changing. I sometimes feel like I'm coming to the point soon where I'd like to get out of the way for sure and let some younger voices, male and female, you know, step up because that's what's, that's where the life is in the industry. And maybe that's I'll, exciting. maybe over the next few years, I'll step into more of a facilitate role. Sure. The studio can be a house for new talent. I mean, we've one uh, young woman working with us now, uh, Louise Bagnell, who's super talented and she's directing her first uh, short with us. Not her first short, she's made several shorts and she's developed a TV series. And so I, I see hope that there are some young women aiming for the directing position. That's great. And my hope would be that there'd be more female directors and at least a balance. Absolutely. In the next, in the next maybe 10 years. That's exciting. But certainly in terms of animation department, background department, um, maybe less the techie department, but definitely animation and background. In hand-drawn, it's, I would say it's, there's more women than, than men at the moment. That's exciting. And I guess along those lines, if and I'm sure you now <laughs> you get a lot of folks coming up to you wondering, I want to make it in animation. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a, some advice to help me mm-hmm. help me make it? If you were specifically advising a, a female along mm-hmm. those lines, what are some some unique pieces of advice you might give her to help set her expectations and and not discourage, but encourage her towards leadership roles is there anything that comes to mind i have to say this is, i mean the podcast i was listening to while i was working this morning is the guilty feminist i mean my wife has got <laughs> so involved in this there's a huge women's rights That's movement so at the great. moment yes it's Here, true in ireland there's uh, marches and stuff and i'm just trying to catch up and catch myself <laughs> where i'm sexist without even realizing i am <laughs> yeah. understanding privilege and trying to understand I'm all this sure. stuff um, that I thought I was, you know, the way everyone thinks they're they're not at all <laughs> exactly. sexist, but of course I don't have any unconscious are. bias. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm really starting to understand it, and I can only imagine what it's like for a young woman coming up. I don't know. I think there's allies now. It's all I could say. That's I mean, great. it That's used great. to be, you know, someone like Brenda Chapman was like the only female director in in animation, and now there's more and more and more women, and. Um, I think that they're probably the people that young women should look to rather than someone like me because I'm just, I, somehow it's turned out that I'm just another middle-aged white guy. So. <laughs> True, but at the same time, like being a woman in the, tech, in the tech world, I have found that it's really helpful to have um, sort of male advocates. So it, sure. it's super important to have those female role models oh, and yeah. women I can go to and talk to and get advice from people who have lived it before me and mm. walked the walk. But I also found it's really helpful to have sort of the ear of, of male colleagues who I trust and admire because they can give me a different perspective in terms of if there's something that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping towards or working towards and I sit down with them and talk, how, you know, how can I achieve this or do this for the team? And they'll say, well, you need to maybe adjust your wording because as a male that's coming across to me as weakness so if Mm. you want to set yourself up for success um you should maybe reword that a little bit and and helping me sort of navigate maybe some of the unconscious biases it's been really interesting it's been quite the learning curve for me but wow but uh again i think because i think because i've 
more than anything been more like intimidated by someone like Nora's talent or Louise's talent but maybe yeah people have different directing styles and oh, we've sure, kind of sure. no asshole rule here in the studio so we don't really put up with those kind <laughs> of big great. ego kind of directors like you know those kind of like my way and hissy fits we're very family you know it's That's a very great. family studio we have a lot of um people that are very involved in different types of activism you know, um, oh, from, you know, animal rights, women's rights and stuff. So I'm not really, I'm, maybe I'm just blind to it, honestly. No, Anna. maybe, I, maybe you're sure. doing something right. <laughs> who knows, who knows? I'm totally I not hope trying so. to turn I this into so. a feminist podcast. No, and I don't know. I just, <laughs> I think for me, uh, I think for me, I would just, I wouldn't presume to advise somebody as a female. Sure, I would just advise sure. them as a young filmmaker. Absolutely. And, um, it's not about the, like, the sex or gender. It's no, about the, I it's about the craft. Yeah. And I hope, and I'd hope that they could go into the world trusting that that was the primary thing that Absolutely. their filmmaking ambition, skills, and stories were of a level that they will be heard. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, we came from absolutely the outside, and we're still very much kind of outsiders from the mainstream. And yet sure. we found a way to find our voice more or less through persistence. I would say, you know, like we <laughs> yes. kind of almost painted ourselves into a corner where. I always tell a story. I had a friend when I was a teenager and he wanted to stop smoking and he took his packet of cigarettes and he wrapped it up in um, in tape and he put it on top of his drawing table and he told everyone in the studio, I'm not smoking anymore. And the thing was that if anybody had seen him unwrap that packet <laughs> and smoke, then he would have, you know, so that's yes. what I did. I sort of said, I'm making a feature film <laughs> in Kilkenny, you know, and I'm I'm 23 or whatever I was at the time, and and had, you know, Ambitious. and and then I sort of yeah, I'd announced that and backed myself into a corner, and then I sort of just had to do it because um, it's so easy to have a project that you're going to do someday, and when when you get a chance, when things are yeah. right, when the opportunity is given to you, when um, somebody uh, says now you are ready, and I knight you ready to make, you know, yes. I find that waiting for permission to make your own films is i think more than ever today it's possible to get out there and make stuff and if you make good stuff it'll get noticed and just keep doing like you know just keep making stuff everybody says how can i break in i said you're in you're already in everybody (laughs) it's not like when i was a kid you can you can animate you know what i mean yes just get get to it and maybe it's different the work yeah, I hope so. Create yeah. good stuff and put it out there. No, that's a, that's a very very good point. And I love the fact that you just you you making a commitment first and then yeah. making that announcement sort of holds you accountable. That's really cool. I love <laughs> it. Embarrass yourself that. into doing it. Yeah, embarrass <laughs> yourself because I have millions of unfinished comic ideas and stuff like that. And I know the only way I'll get them done is if I tell the guys here, like, hey, Nora, hey, Paul, I'm going to make this. And then I have to do it. Like, hey, what happened to that idea, Tom? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because well, it's terrifying. Still working on you know? it. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, my wife is just getting back. Like, she's an artist, but she's taking some time out and she's working as a teacher. And one of the most terrifying things is to say, I'm doing it and I'm going to make work and show it. You know, mm. that's the big leap and if you can keep doing that i think that's the way that's a that's a very very good point um along those lines um so you committed to telling a story in the beginning and in your your crew of folks at cartoon saloon (laughs) went along with you for the ride what are some things that maybe you and nora and ross and paul have have determined separates a good story from a great story um, because of course there's always that crafting process and, you know, and, and I'm also curious about as a director, um, 
even though you have a fantastic, you know, crew, how you manage to make decisions when maybe there are multiple good options, how do you determine as a group or even as the director, which is the best storytelling option to pursue? Those are two interesting questions. Very loaded They're quite questions. Separate. They're very separate, I suppose. Um, good and great story. I'll admit that's something I'm really learning. I feel like I was always up till now and, you know, a song to see, Secret of Cows are huge learning experiences mm. for me, as I said, working with Nora and the writers and the crew and everything and testing it, like showing the showing the the animatic, the work reels to the audience that we anticipated, not other animation geeks, but kids that that taught me a lot what was working. Mm. Um, uh, I, I have a thing when we're writing that if I, if I hit a moment that feels mythic, that feels like it just feels like it resonates on a kind of visually um, encapsulates what the story is about. Um, then I know I'm on the right track and I'm always mm. hunting for those kind of truffles. As sure. we, you know, I'm kind of snuffling around looking for those mythic moments. But good and great, so many things. I mean, you can have a great script and an okay movie if it's not well directed. You can True. have a weak script with an amazing movie. I always talk about um, a movie like The Jungle Book, which I don't think has a super strong plot. True. But everybody loves it. It's just animation is a special thing. And I mean mm. the old Jungle Book from 1966. Sure. Um, the animation, the characters, the voices, something comes together to create a tone and a flavor that's really powerful, really enjoyable, really fun. Everybody, you yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I don't know. It's a really, it's an alchemy and it sometimes it just comes together. I mean, I feel like if you have a really good solid script that holds up to multiple readers, you're on a good, you're off to a good uh, start, let's yeah. say, at the very <laughs> least, right? And that's a process. I mean, I think we've been nearly three or four years just on the script for Wolfwalkers to get to a place where I feel that way. That's fair. Um, but after that, yeah, there's a lot, there's a whole process and getting it up on reels, watching it. That's one of the nice things about animation. We get to make the movie over and over again in rough form. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm not obliged to, I don't have any executives forcing me to change anything based on test audiences. I know a lot of directors hate test audiences, but for yeah. me, it's like my wife is a primary school teacher part-time and I showed a, I showed a work in progress reels to the kids and uh, get their feedback, and that's really helpful for me that's to see great. what's working. Yeah, and then there's times when everybody's telling me to change something, and I just, luckily enough, being independent, go no, I like it, I want to keep it in there, you know. <laughs> and it's just like a little, you know, you get repeated notes about speeding things up, or I like movies that are a little bit more gentle and poetic and maybe more inclined mm. towards the Japanese tradition absolutely um, than the like quick 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 uh, as much as I appreciate sure. and admire the story chops of the American studios I kind of like the idea that we have a little bit more of a storybook attitude absolutely are you a big anime fan not a huge anime fan but I pre like I love like uh uh, Takahata's films sure, like uh, sure. Princess Kaguya I love Miyazaki's films of course mm. but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't have a huge um, beyond that I wouldn't have a huge knowledge of like sure. robo robotech kind no, of I, just, uh, I don't anime, either you know? I was just curious yeah. Yeah. no 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 but I also feel a bit funny because I, I quote Japanese animation but I'm specifically thinking of certain filmmakers like mm. like Takahata Miyazaki that's Satoshi really cool. Khan, people like that 
Um, but yeah, so that's the story side. I don't know what makes it great. It's a whole combination of factors makes it great. Sure. Um, but certainly Nora um, always looks for an honesty in mm. the characters, like uh, something that you recognize from your own life. Sure. We, Will Collins, who wrote uh, Song of the Sea with us, talked a lot about painful truth. Is there a moment uh. that's so true it's kind of painful? Like, is there a character moment that you recognize that is like you'd maybe rather not see yourself. Yeah, I, I actually noticed that right in the beginning of Song of the Sea with the two right. siblings sort of fighting right. and, and being very yeah. irritable at each other. I, I yeah. sort of withdrew a little bit like, oh, that's painful because I can mm. remember moments in my childhood where I may have treated my siblings that way or even right. my own right. children now. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting point. So that's something we feel you're onto something if you hook onto that painful <laughs> truth. I mean, Song of the Sea, it's so funny. People used to go, wow, Ben's so mean. Where did you get the idea that he would like tie his <laughs> sister up with a with a dog's lead? And I was like, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I never did anything like that to my sister. <laughs> yeah. and, um, that's great. And, uh, yeah, so you kind of look for those little um, bits of brokenness or whatever in the character and that I makes like you it. feel like... Makes it relatable. Mm, Nora's really good at that. Like she talks about, um, um, she talked about Wolf Walker showing love through conflict, hmm. which is really interesting because sometimes people just write it very on the nose. And if the yeah. two characters really like each other, it's kind of, it, it doesn't feel true because like, if they're in conflict with each other, you see their love for each other through that thing. So little things like that, little human insights, I think make it much more relatable. Absolutely. You had another question. That was oh, yeah. When you're uh, directing a film and, oh, and there are maybe a few different options, um, how do you choose which option is best and also motivate the team towards that option if they maybe have a disagreeing opinion? Oh, that was, I just talked about this this morning with Ross because Adrian, while Ross was off working in Leica, um, a really talented filmmaker who came up through our studio as well, Adrian Mergeau, he's off making his own movies now, but he was art director on Song of the Sea. Hmm. And uh, again, a super talented guy. And um, I really relied on his kind of, uh, every decision I made, I kind of liked that he agreed. And then I re he kind of schooled me in the fact that sometimes to be the director is to be alone. And sometimes hmm. I had to make decisions that even he didn't agree with. And he needed to be able to say, I don't agree with it, but you're the director. <laughs> and, you know, and that was kind of lonely, you know, because you kind of had to just trust yourself that you'd looked at what was best for the movie and made a decision, even if your closest collaborator didn't necessarily Doesn't agree. agree. Hmm. Uh, he came around in the end, <laughs> but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't force it. I just knew there was moments and it was only small things, but there was moments sure. when I had to make that. Generally, I, I listen to the crew, listen to all the notes we get, hmm. whether it's from kids or from co-producers. And then I'm in the lucky enough position as an independent to kind of just decide, well, that feels like the movie I want to make. And that feels like the movie they might want to make. And, hmm. I'll, you know, take the note. That, and it's always great to be able to get all sure. that feedback. It's really helpful. But I do think sometimes you just have to remember. That's true. Yeah, tone, the tone is really, yeah, tone <laughs> is the thing I'm learning about as a filmmaker. Mm. Does that feel right, you know, for the kind of movie I want to make? Yeah. That's really interesting. I like it, that creative vision. But yeah, and it's never fun to have to be <laughs> alone yeah, a little bit at the top. it's super collaborative and you kind of <laughs> exactly. want everyone to be, 
happy. Green, and then you're you're just going no and that's tough you know especially if someone's put a lot of work into another direction whether yeah. it's pitching a storyboard or even a piece of animation and you know it's not right and you're like going it's beautiful work and it took you a long time but in the wrong direction never fun (laughs) absolutely it seems to me that um it's got to be difficult as an as artists like i know um for me i do art just as something for myself i i create whatever i feel like making i that's i think one of the reasons why i chose not to do it professionally because i really don't get a lot of enjoyment out of making other people's visions come to life um, mm. so I'm sure there's always that struggle, uh, as artists <laughs> to motivate them towards what really is best, uh, in the best interest of the story, even if, if there is a yeah. little bit of conflict there, but it sounds like for the most part, everyone is on the same page and that that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, the best collaborators are the people that are on their way to wanting your job. So it's always <laughs> a delicate balance because you know, the most point. talented people will, will want to make their own movies so you just have to meet them at the right like as i said yes. Adrian is off making his own movies now but he was a fantastic collaborator at that point in his career that's cool that's mm-hmm. really really cool i'm curious you have i'm wondering how many children one child just one one, one grown-up boy yeah. how has yeah. being a dad affected storytelling for you or the, the way you approach story or um, have you noticed any any differences in, in how you approached it now as maybe opposed to how you approached it before being a father? I didn't, yeah, I, I became a dad very young. So, I mean, Ben was um, very much to focus. He's, he is Ben in Song of the Sea, you know. Oh, that's so great, that was I love funny. it. It was, very, it was very poignant, I used to always say that, like, over the period of making Song of the Sea, he went from being the 10-year-old version of himself that's in mm. the movie to, like, you know, a 17-year-old. <laughs> I was like, drawing the I don't remember telling and... stories before he was alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I definitely think when he was younger, um, I was much more conscious of the kid's point of view. Sure. And now Nora and Paul have small small kids, and mm. I feel like they are a little bit more tapped. Like, I have nieces and nephews, and I try and try and spend as much time as I can with them and um, not purely for you know selfish reasons to improve my oh, sure. I do love hanging out with my niece and nephews but I just need I to get keep, my kid yeah. moments in for the day <laughs> gotta get my yeah because I, right right and it's nice in the studio people bring their kids in and, and there's a lot of kids around a lot which is really important that's because great I think for me yeah I was in danger and Wolf Walkers I felt a couple of times being and I think on every movie the danger is to start identifying more and more with the parents in the story and to forget that it's the kid's ah. point of view. And while you're consciously trying to make a movie aimed at kids first and hopefully the adults can enjoy too, you have to remember that it has to be from the kid's point of view. And uh, that, that takes a little bit of, a, of spending time with young people not to start making something patronizing or something that you point. think kids would like you, you need to know what they really are like you know that's a very good point that's a, a the interesting point about uh making it for the parents too because i find i like i enjoy animated features i enjoy um, watching them with my kids but there is something a little bit different about secret of kells and song of the sea that i find more intriguing and more interesting mm. i would say than your average animated oh, uh, feature so certainly it's, it's at least worked for me <laughs> yeah no i do I, i'm happy to say i think animation is just i mean the bar has been raised year on year absolutely as I can see from when i was a kid when it really was animation geeks and kids who liked animation now i do feel that there's much more 
to offer a full family audience. So I think that to me, that's the biggest challenge in filmmaking, that you can really make a movie that tonally feels right for kids, but challenges them and offers something to the adults, you know. That's a good. Not just yeah. babysitting movies. You know? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, that's a very good point. And now our, our hour is just about up, so I just have two more questions for you. And I, okay, again, I no so problem. appreciate your time. Um, this one is a, a bit of a lighthearted, more fun question. Um, but I, I have a, a full sleeve of tattoos, so I always enjoy mm. seeing when other folks have tattoos. <laughs> um, I'm curious, what are your tattoos of and what made you choose those particular pieces? Oh, I'm a control freak. Or was it just for fun? So- yeah, I'm a total <laughs> control freak. I have a couple of tattoos that, like, I have my wife's name tattooed in old Gaelic and stuff. And then at a certain point, I realized that anything I would design, I would not like a couple of years later. <laughs> so I, I love tattoos. So I started going to an, a really talented French artist and I just let him do whatever he wants. So it's a real exercise oh, in great. letting go. So I, he doesn't even show me a design, he just works. And I at love the end it. of the session, I see what he's done and I'm. I'm just at his mercy. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Most people yeah. wouldn't be able to handle, I think, giving that level of control over. But I think I think if you give an artist freedom, they, that's when they produce their best work. And ultimately, right. tattoo artists, right. it's an art. Like um, when I go in to, to see my artist, mm-hmm. they're always talking about bad choices people make. And if right. people would only listen to them, they understand what that tattoo is going to look like in a few years and right. um you know i but, think collaboration is important i mean i designed yes. a tattoo for my son for his birthday he wanted a tattoo so i designed him one and uh but we talked a lot with the artist the guy That's who cool. did a couple of mine and made sure yeah because it's a it's an art form in itself but they're not just photocopying machines exactly you know? they're, they're artists and crafts people so you really have to yeah and it's a medium all its own and it has its own unique um uh, pros and cons through the years. And so I think it's nice when an artist has your best interest in mind. What is this going to look like 10 years from now, as opposed mm-hmm. to what may be hip and cool at the moment. That's cool. I like it. What, I are, what, it. Are, what are your tattoos out of curiosity? Well, yeah. So I, I have a full sleeve in progress <clears throat> and I chose three different birds. Each of them represents the personalities of my three kids. So I have oh. a falcon, a bluebird and an owl. And then my husband is a Pacific Islander, so I have a lot of Polynesian wow. art sort of interwoven awesome. yeah, throughout wow. that. Tattooed stuff, great. Fun oh, times. that's really beautiful. That's really nice. So yeah. it's always it's always a fun adventure, right? And it's an evolving piece of art, and so I, I always love to give my artists as much freedom as as possible to, yeah, to get the best think product. There's they are they're that funny thing. They're the least permanent and most permanent art form, right? So it's true. You're gonna have to live with it, but it's not gonna live beyond you. So it has to be of you, I guess. You know? That's very the true. Tattoos are amazing. Even bad tattoos that people have got. That's true. Young, they're part of them, you know. So it's like you can't not have been eighteen. <laughs> That's you know right. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right. I love it. <laughs> And so my last question is um, actually for anyone who may be listening who is a fan of what Cartoon Saloon is doing. Um, is there anything you can tell us uh, about Wolf Walkers? I know that's still kind of in the works and maybe when we can expect to see Breadwinner in the U.S. or The Breadwinner, I apologize. Yeah, The Breadwinner will be released in the U.S. to the best of my knowledge. G-Kids are partners, and I think they plan to release it this October or November. Exciting. Um, that's that's the best of my knowledge. Oh, sure, they, sure. You know, sometimes distributors change it. Yeah. It might be early next year. 
But as far as I know, they want to do it just um, October, November this year. Um, and I think that's going to be really special. It's very, it's in a lot of ways, it's very different than anything else we've ever mm. done. Um, but I think people will love it. Um, Is there anything that two... you can tell us about the story? But breadwinner? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's about a little girl. In, it's based on a book, so everyone knows the story, but um, <laughs> obviously adapted. But anyone yeah. who's read the book, you know, the story, it's about a little girl in Afghanistan in 2001, and her dad is um, is put in prison, you know, just for, for mm. being kind of a storyteller or whatever and an uh, intellectual. And then she uh, she's the only person in her family that can actually provide for them they're all women and a baby so she mm. has to pretend to be a boy mm. to to take care of her family so that's that's the crux of the story but there's a lot more in it and there's some beautiful wow. uh, sequences that are in the style of, of, of art from that region that's going to be stuff, so. really compelling and i think open a lot of eyes um, in terms of helping us expand our horizons i think in the u.s sometimes we get caught up in all oh, the election and the political drama that's right. going on and we forget right. that we still do have it really good. And uh, <laughs> I think, you know, yeah. seeing my yeah. husband served in Iraq for a year and I'm um, uh-huh. a very compassionate person and loves people and, and hearing, you know, firsthand stories from him about what folks, you know, in, in, in other parts of the world are going through. It's, it's right. something that we have to remember. That's, that's going to be right. really exciting. I'm excited about yeah. that. And I think because Angelina Jolie is getting behind it, she might be able to give it a bit more, um, you know, uh, airspace so. or yeah, yeah, like hopefully with her with her involvement, it'll it'll be seen. I'm hoping yeah. by more people than our movies usually are. That'll be. But exciting. let's see. Let's yeah, see. fingers yeah. crossed. And then yeah. uh, Wolf Walkers. Yeah. I'm excited about right. this one. Yeah, me too. It's kind of we've been calling it the third panel in the triptych of our kind of Celtic. <laughs> I feel like it's it's possibly the last one that I'll do. Gotcha. That, but it fit in that way in that style, and it sort of yeah. fits with uh, Secret of Kells and Song to Sea without being a mm. sequel. And yeah, it's about uh, two little girls. One is from England and she comes with her dad um, and her dad is a wolf hunter who's arrived in Ireland, like this is like 1645 and they arrived to our town, Kilkenny, which at the time was the capital of oh. Ireland. And um, and uh, Oliver Cromwell has offered a reward or a pardon to anybody who can just wipe out the wolves. He wanted to symbolically tame the country by, by getting rid of the wolves. So this little girl is the daughter of a hunter and she makes friends with a little Irish girl and she realizes that her new friend is the wolf that her dad is hunting. Oh, wow. So that's the wolf. That's going to be, that's going to be a good one. I'm excited. And that one probably <laughs> has, has a, a few years yet to go <laughs> before we oh, get to I'm, see it. <laughs> I'm almost wary to talk about it too oh, much because who knows yes. what could change yes. in the time that we're developing it. But I think the script understood. is in good shape. And, yeah. That's exciting. Well, I I look forward to both of those, and we'll be supporting awesome. supporting your work from this this end of the world. Um, Listen, thanks thank very you. much. Thank I really you, enjoyed Tom, the chat. It's a really nice, yes. really nice podcast. And, well, uh, thank I, I, you. Say goodbye to your little friend. Thanks for listening to Basic Brainheart. I'm not great at farewell, so uh, that'll do, pig. Check back soon for more heart pumping, brain boosting content.